Hey, before you sit down and before we move past this moment, I want us to honor the Lord and celebrate some amazing things that God has done right here in our church recently. So last weekend, we celebrated the weekend, which was our summer camp for students. And if no one tells us all this, we don't know how to celebrate. So let me tell our entire church, we were able to baptize last Sunday, 193 new Christians. 193 new believers that have now not only been baptized and publicly identify themselves as followers of Jesus, but their names have been written in heaven. They have eternal life promised one day and abundant life promised right now today. Can we thank God for 193 new believers baptized now? Hey, and, and, and while we're celebrating, we have something really big to celebrate. I wanna just say hello right now to our Hilton Head campus. And I wanna tell you, in case you didn't know, for all of our campuses to celebrate together right now, today, we're celebrating the grand opening of our Hilton Head permanent location. We now have a permanent home for our Hilton Head campus. Pastor Jason Smith and all the volunteers and folks in Hilton Head, we're rejoicing with you. Let me brag on our church right now and say thank you to everybody in our body here at New Spring Church. You know, every year we have a special season called the overflow season. And we don't do big fundraisers and we don't borrow money anymore and we're paying down debt. We made some decisions several years ago and one of the decisions that we made financially is that we were gonna trust God's people to give when there was a need. You've heard from this stage, your pastors have said this, that the kingdom of God moves at the speed of our sacrifice. And because you gave faithfully to the overflow offering, we were able to move in today debt-free, no debt, no loan, paid cash for all of it. And let me tell you this, this is the miracle. We moved in two weeks early. That never happens, but it does in God's kingdom. And so for, for six years, our Hilton Head campus has been borrowing space and renting space. But because of your faithful giving, we now have a permanent home. And because we finished early, we were able to host the weekend at the new facility. We've already baptized six new believers at our Hilton Head campus before we ever open the doors. Can we thank God for his faithfulness? You can have a seat right now across all of our campuses. This is a, a great way for me to dive into this message. You know, we are in a series called Generational God. And today I wanna talk about how in the kingdom of God, we can mark the places where God has moved for the sake of future generations. I'm gonna be in Joshua chapter four. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, our scriptures will be up on the screens. If I've never met you before, I'm Clayton King, one of the pastors here. And it's my joy today to preach on this particular topic from a powerful passage of scripture. In the kingdom of God, you'll hear us say this a lot, we believe that success is succession. And so as we celebrate the opening of our Hilton Head campus today, we wanna to celebrate that we've already seen six young men and women saved and baptized in the building before we ever even had our grand opening. And the reason we celebrate that, it's the same reason we invest so much time and money and energy and so many volunteer hours in our kids' spring space, in our fuse space, because we believe that God is a generational God. I'm gonna say it again. 
God is a generational God. And we believe that the kingdom of God doesn't exist just for us today, but that we're building a church that will outlast us. That we're gonna hand off not just a church, but stories to future generations that will prove to them who God is and what God can do. We believe that the God we serve and the God revealed in scripture is a God of yesterday, today, and forever. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, when you see the angels gathered around the throne of God and they're worshiping and they're singing and they're praising God, we see it in Isaiah. We see it again at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. What are the angels singing? They are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That means our God is the God of the past, the present, and the future. He's been faithful in the past. He's good right here, right now, today. And he's gonna continue to keep his promises in the days ahead. And we believe that God reveals himself to us in that way. And for us to truly know who God is, we need to know what God has done. And so we're gonna look in Joshua chapter four. Before I show you the scripture, I wanna give you a little bit of background to what's just happened. This is the perfect story to illustrate how in the kingdom of God, success is succession. That what we hand off to our children and our children's children will literally be the mark of whether or not we've been faithful and successful as the church. This is the story of the day that Israel has been waiting for for 40 years. This is the culmination of them being delivered from Egypt. You remember God called a man named Moses and Moses was a Messiah type figure. The Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. The generation that moved there had died and multiple generations had come and passed. And now it's time for God to bring his people out of bondage into a promised land. Moses carries them through the Red Sea. God parts the water. They walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh's army pursues them. His army is destroyed. Moses leads Israel for 40 years, one generation throughout the desert. Moses dies. And in true biblical form, there is a succession plan. And that succession plan is a man named Joshua. And Joshua takes the children of Israel and he leads them right to the edge of the Jordan River. And just beyond the Jordan River is the land they've been waiting for, the promised land. So this moment we're gonna read about right now is the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the Olympics. It's the big moment. It's Christmas morning. It's wedding day. This is the big deal that they've been waiting on. They are literally about to step foot into the land that God had promised them, and God tells them to do something for the sake of future generations. Let's look at the scripture together from Joshua chapter four, beginning in verse 20. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and that you may always fear the Lord your God. What God told Joshua to do was to command the people of Israel for the sake of future generations to grab stones out of the river, large river rocks, and to make two piles of stones, one in Gilgal and one in the middle of the riverbed. Just to give you a visual of what this may have looked like, here's a picture. This is a picture, not that I took from the Jordan River. This is a picture we grabbed off of Google. This is what it may have looked like. Wouldn't that be awesome if I said, and today I've got the stones with me right here. No, this is what it could have looked like. Now, if you're walking through uh, uh, the, the Israel uh, countryside, if you're walking through the woods and you come across a pile of stones that looks like that, your first question would be one of curiosity. Who put these stones here and what do they mean? Who did this and why did they do it? Because when you see a pile of stones like that, it means that someone was intentional and someone was trying to mark something important. That is exactly what God wanted them to do. Rocks are unique because rocks don't decay. Rocks do not disintegrate. Rocks tend, especially big ones, to stay right where you place them. And God wanted future generations of curious kids to ask their parents, why are these rocks here? And God wanted the parents to be able to re repeat and remember the story, to say to their kids, before you were born, we watched God do something miraculous. Before you were ever alive, we saw God keep his promises. And I wanna, I wanna tell you what it was like that day that we saw the Red Sea part in half. And I wanna tell you what it was like when the water rolled back in big, tall walls, stories high. I wanna tell you what it was like that day that we stood on the banks of the Jordan and we had been wandering for a generation in the desert. And I wanna tell you, son, we saw the priest step into the water and we saw the water stop flowing and we saw it back up and we walked across on dry ground behind the Ark of the Covenant. That's why God wanted those two piles of stones because God knows how quickly we forget. Listen to me, church. We forget important things. Raise your hand as a confession if you have ever forgotten your wedding anniversary. Can you just raise your hand? I saw these two hands go up together immediately. I know y'all are married two years in a row. Did you both forget two years in a row? May God, I was gonna say may God forgive you, but you didn't really sin. You're just getting old like me. That's what's happening. I'm 48. I forget stuff all the time. 
Matter of fact, recently, my wife and I, it was our anniversary, and we both forgot our anniversary on the exact same day. Some things you forget because you're old. Some things you forget because you're busy. Some things we forget because we're just taking care of business. You've got to get up and go to school. You've got to get up and go to work. You've got bills to pay and you've got a house to keep and you've got laundry to do and meals to prepare and children to, to get to their next thing. God knows that if we don't mark some places in our stories, we'll forget just how good God has been to us. As a matter of fact, within a generation, listen church, within a generation of God delivering millions of Israelites out of bondage in Egypt through 10 miraculous plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground, most of the Israelites had forgotten what God had done. That's why God wants us to remember. God wants us to remember the past for the sake of the future. That's why God told them to pile some stones up. These are stones of remembrance. Like if you go to our nation's capital and you see a statue of George Washington or a statue of Abraham Lincoln or a statue of Martin Luther King Jr. Or if you go to the World War II Memorial or the Vietnam Memorial in our nation's capital in the same way that those monuments will memorialize epic and important moments in our history, these piles of stones memorialize for the sake of future generations God's miraculous power and provision. God wants us to repeat and remember these stories because future generations have got to learn about God from us. I'll put it to you this way. If we don't teach our kids who Jesus is, who's gonna do it? If we don't deliver the faith to the next generation, who's going to deliver it for us? Our problem oftentimes is we wanna outsource that work to other entities. Brad said it last week. The church is a resource, but the church is not an outsource. It's not the federal government's job to teach my kids who Jesus is. It's not the state government's job to disciple my children as followers of the ways of Jesus. It's my job, it's Shari's job, it's our responsibility. So what we get to do, and we get to do this together as the body of Christ, is we get to rehearse, remember, and repeat all of the ways we have seen God do amazing things so that our children will know those stories and it builds up and stirs up faith in them. Okay, let me get real practical for a minute. If you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, can I just ask you a question? Every, every campus, just ask you a question. Have you ever sat down with your kids, even if they're grown up, and told them how you got saved? You ever done that? I wanna get real practical with you. As a matter of fact, after our first gathering today, I was backstage talking to a friend of mine from this campus and he said, you know, when you were preaching on that, Clayton, I realized I've never told my girls how I became a Christian. And so we've already decided after your message that we're gonna go home today and as a family, we're all gonna share how we got saved, where we were, what happened. That's what, that's what it means to go visit Stones of Remembrance. Some of you today, you need to sit down at the dinner table out to lunch at a Mexican restaurant or maybe you're eating Chinese food or maybe you're going home and you're eating leftovers. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, can you just do this? Just say, hey guys, if I've never told you my testimony, I wanna tell you where I was and how I got saved. 
Maybe you remember who was preaching. Maybe you remember the summer camp or VBS. Maybe you remember what you were wearing. Maybe you remember what you felt. If you don't pass that story along to your kids, that story will die with you. Don't let it die with you. We're always one generation away from revival or one generation away from death. And in this church, we'll say it boldly. We will invest in telling the stories of God's faithfulness to future generations because the future generations that we're telling those stories to, they're not the future of the church. They're the church. And they're here right now. And they're watching me and they're watching you and they're listening to us and they're paying attention to how we live our lives and they're watching how we talk on social media and they're watching who we love and who we care about and what we get passionate about and they see if we're more passionate about sports than Jesus, about vacation than Jesus, about money than Jesus, about fashion than Jesus. They're watching us and they will mimic and model everything that we show them. So let's show them Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's preach about Jesus. Let's tell stories about Jesus. Let's take them back to the places where we've seen God move so that we can tell them the story of what God did. 3 John 1, 4 is one of my favorite verses. John himself writes this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We will not call ourselves successful as a church. I wanna speak this over us. Because we get debt free or because we give lots of money to lots of great ministries and church planting organizations. We will not consider ourselves successful if we hit a certain goal. We will consider ourselves successful if we see succession in the future. If we raise up generations of young women and young men to teach and preach and lead and serve and follow Jesus faithfully. Because, here's why, when we mark the places where God moved, we testify to future generations. That's what these piles of rocks were all about. They weren't decorative. They weren't like the 1,400 pillows that are on my couch in my bed in my house. They are decorative. I'm not allowed to lay my head on them. I'm not allowed to sit on them. I'm very even seldom allowed to touch them. They're there for decor. They have no purpose except to be pretty and make Shari happy. And I want her to be happy, so I am okay with the pillows. <laughs> These stones were not decorative. They told a story, and the story connected them back to God. Here's why it's important for us to mark the places where God moved, because if we don't tell our kids, they won't know. Case in point, probably, I don't know, eight weeks ago, maybe, nine weeks ago, on this stage, I preached a message about the adventure of following Jesus. And I told a story that I've told here, told it about 10 years ago, told it again a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, about seeing God raise a baby from the dead in the Himalayas. That's exactly what happened. If you didn't see it, go back and watch it on the New, on the New Spring app. My wife and I saw God do miracles. Well, I've told that story before, preached it dozens of times, I've actually written it in one of my books, my latest book that just came out. It's a whole chapter about that. I told the story here. We go home to eat lunch two miles from here, sitting in our house. And my 15-year-old son, Jojo, who just turned 16 two days ago, looks at me and goes, Daddy, I had never heard that story. I was like, what? What do you mean you've never heard that story? I wanted to blame him. 
want to be like, I've told it, you just weren't listening. It's in my book. Go buy my book. Go read my book. I wanted to blame him, but it wasn't his fault. It was my responsibility. And it occurred to me, I've never sat him down and said, Joseph, can I tell you about a time I saw God perform miracles for the sake of his gospel? I wanna walk you through the details so that you can hear that story. Like my grandmother used to tell me about being a little girl in the Great Depression. Like my grandfather used to tell me stories about being on an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific during the Second World War. Like my dad used to tell me stories of growing up poor on the farm and not wearing shoes all summer because the less you wore your one pair of shoes, the longer they lasted. Like my mom told me about getting water from a creek with a bucket because they didn't have running water when she was a little girl until she was almost out of high school. Those stories helped connect me not only to the past but to my parents. Our stories of faith connect future generations to a powerful God who is trying to build his kingdom and pass the faith on to future generations. I'll say it again. If we don't tell them, who will? And it's fun to tell these stories because it reminds us of God's faithfulness. Here's why. Because stories of God's faithfulness get us through dry seasons. Stories of God's faithfulness will get us through the dry seasons and we're all gonna face spiritual drought. One of the verses that stood out to me in chapter four is verse nine. Here's what verse nine says. Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing And those stones are still there today. That's odd. Why would anybody put a pile of rocks in the middle of a river? I've been to the Jordan River. I baptized people. I've baptized some of you in the Jordan River. The Jordan River today is not nearly as big as it used to be back then because of drought. But why would you put a pile of stones in the middle of a riverbed when those stones are gonna be underwater in just a matter of seconds, once all the Israelites crossed over in the promised land, Joshua 4 says the waters began to flow again. The reason why God told Joshua to put a pile of stones at Gilgal and in the middle of the Jordan is because God knew what we also know. Rains will come and rains will stop. You'll have good years and bad years. You'll have fat years and lean years. And when the waters go down because of drought, when the times get really difficult and the water line goes below the stones, you can look at those rocks and remember what God did before and you can tell yourself, he'll do it again. He'll get us through this drought. He'll get us through this hard time. He'll get us through this pandemic. He'll get us through the 2008 recession. He'll get us through a world war. He'll get us through division. By God's grace, we will work hard as we can. He'll get us through racism. He'll get us through the hard things so that the church can be a light of the gospel to the world. That's why the stones were put in the middle of the river so that when the water level went down, The people wouldn't get hysterical. The people would get historical. 
Because when things begin to go wrong, we begin to freak out. I tend to get hysterical. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How are we going to make it? How am I going to survive? How will we ever get back to where we used to be? But instead of getting hysterical, stones of remembrance, the places we mark, will help us get historical. We'll look back and trace God's hand throughout the history of our life. This week for me, can I be transparent with you, church? Trevor Cox, one of our pastors here, encouraged me. He said, Clayton, you need to lean into one of your gifts. I wasn't going to do this, but he told me to. He said, you have a gift to be transparent on stage in a hopeful way. So let me get real transparent with you, church. I had a horrible week, one of the worst of my life this past week. It was terrible. had a terrible, discouraging week. Several things happened. First of all, I've been kind of an emotional wreck because my oldest son, Jacob, starts college this week. So I went to Target and spent $17,000 and had to, you know, sell a kidney. It was just awful. That was, I've been crying all the time. My, old, my youngest son, Jojo, turned 16. That was really emotional for me. And then this past week, in the course of three days, I lost two really good friends to COVID. They died. One of them was a 51-year-old evangelist named Wade Morris from Alabama, a dear friend, one of the good ones like just one of the best people I ever knew. The other one was a friend in their 60s that prayed for me and for our ministry every single day and had done so for almost a quarter of a century. And now they're both gone. They're dead. They died of COVID. And for me, it was a difficult week. It was just emotional. I cried. I didn't want to be around people. And that's very odd for me because I just, I love people. And it was hard to sleep and it was hard to get my thoughts together and it was hard to concentrate on this sermon. And it was a tough, tough week. It was a dry season. I'm just telling you, church, that there's a good ending to this. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just trying to let you know, even pastors have dry seasons. So don't think that because we're professionals that we're up here doing this and God protects us. First of all, we are not professionals. We're not, we're just like you. I'm just like you. I go through the same things you go through, the same feelings, the same emotions, the same doubts and discouragements. And so this past week, while I'm in a real tough spot, you know what I did? I just started remembering all the times in my life that God's been good to me. And I had some, I had some stones of remembrance. I went to visit. I remembered 2008 when the world was falling apart and everybody was scared we were gonna go into a recession. I remember... 2010, when my mom, four days before she died, predicted how she would die and where she would die and when she would die. And she died exactly that way. And I preached her funeral. I remembered a year, year and a half later after taking care of my terminally ill father, how I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day, 2012. I started remembering how my wife helped me through it, how my little boys would lay hands on me from the back seat of the Honda Pilot and pray over me in the parking lot that I would have enough courage to get out of the car and go inside and do what I had to do. I remember those moments. And as I would remember and recall all those moments, it was like me walking up to piles of rocks going, I remember, God, your faithfulness back then. Now what I say is, please do it again. Do it again right now. I need you right now. Help me right now. I'm weak right now. You're strong right now. That's what these stones of remembrance do for us. They give us the courage to say to future generations, God hasn't changed. And he will help you. He helped me. 
And that's the God I'm passing on to you. How do we do this? When we go back and we remember, I don't have any pile of rocks up here today, but I've got my phone. It's on airplane mode because one time I was preaching and I forgot to turn it off and it rang and because I'm half deaf, it was on like the loudest ring possible. It was like, yeah, like apocalypse ring. And so my phone this week has been a source of remembrance for me because my friend Wade Morris, who passed away, he had led tens of thousands of people to Jesus, but he was also a great encourager. So this week, you know what I did? I went back and listened to a voicemail on this phone. I listened to a voicemail that Wade left me this past summer before he went to the hospital encouraging me. Keep preaching the gospel, Clayton. Keep inviting people to follow Jesus. You're anointed. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I went back and I could hear his voice on that voicemail. I went back and looked at his social media feed. One of his last posts were three simple words before he died. Jesus is enough. What piles of rocks are you building in your life? Are you discouraged right now? Are you worried right now? Are you freaked out right now? Are you kind of uncertain right now? Are you having a hard time right now? Is your marriage in trouble? Are you in trouble financially? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you afraid we're gonna go back into some horrible time where we won't be able to do the things that we wanna do again? Are you afraid of those things? Then go find a pile of rocks that remind you of how you got saved, where you got saved, when you got saved, how Jesus has answered your prayer. And if you can't find that in your own life, go find somebody who's got some piles of stones that they can take you. You too. I guess I'm talking loud because I want you to get it. I'm preaching the gospel to myself because, man, if it doesn't work for me, how can I expect it to work for you? I can't lead you to a place I'm not going and I'm going back to the piles of stones. I'm going back to those places in my life and I'm remembering what it was like to be 14 years old and Jesus called my name and saved me. I'm remembering what it was like to be on my knees at a little church in Greer, praying to receive Christ when I heard Jesus say to me, preach the gospel. I remember that. It's in me deep in my soul and it won't ever go away. So here's how we do it, moms, dads, grandparents, small group leaders, volunteers. We do this, we tell them, we show them, we lead them and we do it with them. That's how we do it. Tell them, don't assume they know the stories, tell them. And if you've told it once, tell it again. Trust me, as a pastor, I really do feel like I could preach the same message maybe six weeks apart from each other and half of y'all wouldn't even remember it. It's not, that's not a slam against you. That's because we're all busy and we have so many things coming at us all the time. So tell them and then show them. Take them to the places where God has moved. Lead them, say, follow my example. Let me show you how to read the Bible. Let me show you how to pray. Let me show you how to tithe. And then do it with them. One of my greatest joys right now, Shari and I have been ministry partners for 22 years. And now one of my greatest joys is that our son Jacob, raised up in this house under the leadership of great pastors and great leaders, is now preaching the gospel himself. We didn't push him, God called him. My 18-year-old son and I now are traveling together. And this summer at Crossroads Camps, I got to watch my son preach the gospel and I got to see 25 students give their lives to Christ in the room, in the moment, stood up on their feet and trusted Christ to save them. That is the only way I'll know I've been a successful disciple is if I've passed it on to the next generation. 
because success is succession. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. When I was 14, I had preached my first sermon and a pastor of a church in Simpsonville called Clear Spring invited me to come and preach my second ever sermon at his church. There were two reasons that was pretty awesome. Number one, my family carpooled with that pastor and his family. And number two, that was the church where my dad grew up, Clear Spring Baptist Church in Simpsonville. So when the pastor who is now with Jesus invited me to come and preach, my dad said, let's, let's go over there. I wanna, I wanna go over and show you a few things. So my dad and I drove over to the church and we got out, walked in, and um, he walked me to an old wooden pew. We still had pews at that time. And he said, son, and he, he choked up and he started weeping. And daddy said, son, this is the pew I was sitting in when I was 10 years old and the last night of vacation Bible school, the pastor gave an invitation. And he said, it was so hard for me to take that first step. And he literally stood in the pew. He said, I was standing right here and I took that first step of faith and my dad did this. He literally stepped out to his left and he said, and God carried me the rest of the way to the altar. And then my dad walks to the altar with me. And he said, and this is where I knelt down on my knees and I prayed and asked Jesus to save me right here. And he said, this is where I got saved, son. My dad was not a pastor. My dad was a farmer and a motor repairman. Blue collar and country as cornbread and the best man I ever knew in my life. And then he said, and I want to show you where I got baptized. <laughs> and we walked outside across the parking lot to the edge of the woods. He said, son, do you know why this is Clear Spring Baptist Church? I had no clue. He said, look right there. There's the clear spring and there was a pool of water. It's literally a spring that just bubbled up from the ground and a little creek flowed out of it. And daddy said, the water's not as deep or as clear as it was when I was a kid. But I got baptized right there in that clear spring. And that's when I told the world that I was a follower of Jesus now. If I live to be 100, I will never forget that. And there have been times I have really wanted to like throw in the towel. And I remember that stone of remembrance. I remember that place that was marked. The pew, the altar, the clear spring. My dad telling me a story that touched my heart. Now let's get busy doing that for our kids. Let's get busy doing that for our grandkids. And I wanna challenge you in ways you can do it. Who do you need to tell? This is a generational challenge. Who do you need to tell? Who is it in your family, your extended family, at the job site, at school? Who do you need to tell? And what do you need to show them? What place can you take them to? What story can you describe for them? How much detail can you tell them about that moment when God healed you of cancer, God restored a marriage, you forgave someone who hurt you, he broke you of that addiction to pornography or pills or alcohol. What do you need to show them 
And ultimately, who do you need to bring alongside you and lead? Our church is filled with people that would love to have a spiritual mother or father just like you to take them by the hand and say, hey, let's do this together. Let me show you what it means to follow Jesus through the hard times and the good times, through the bad times and the easy times, when it's, when it's fun and when it's not so much fun. And you can be that for somebody if you're willing because God is able. I wanna ask you if you'd do this, would you stand to your feet right now across all of our campuses? In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song to worship God together. But before that, I wanna pray with you. And I want you to close your eyes and open your hearts to Jesus. Lord, I wanna, I wanna ask you right now to stir up some memories in the minds and hearts of your people here at New Spring Church of stories where you showed your power of times that you came through for us and then show us the people we need to tell those stories to, the places that we need to mark and give us the courage to not wait but to do it intentionally and immediately. And now, Lord, as we sing to you, we worship you for who you have been, for who you are, and for who you will be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.